Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Evan Toth of uh, Radar is a music uh, podcast. Very interesting. He said, let's talk about some parallels between music and cards. I love doing stuff like that. So thanks, Evan. And uh, thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Evan is interviewing me for his show, and these are some outtakes. You're encouraged, actually, to go to his show if you're interested in music. And we, we just bounced around a little bit. But again, thanks for your good questions, Evan. Listen, I kept seeing this appointment on my calendar, and it's saying Dr. James Beckett. And I kept thinking I had to go to the doctor. So I'm glad this is a much better appointment than uh, whenever I saw the doctor thing, I thought I had to go somewhere uh, bad. I can, I can prescribe for it if you want me to. <laughs> you won't get any pharmacists that'll fulfill it. Well, thank you for joining me on this podcast. This is Radar. And congrats to your 600th episode. You've just hit 600. It's more than that, actually, because I actually had some short weekend episodes that I don't number. But uh, yeah, 600 is 600 more than I thought about three years ago. But I've, I've been going two, two plus years. It's been a lot of fun, Evan. And I guess... Uh, Initially, if I remember, you were thinking of going to a thousand and maybe just trying to do a thousand. But do you have a, a new benchmark that you're thinking about reaching, or are you just going to go till you don't want to go? My executive producer, my wife, said, "Quit talking about a thousand. Just tell them you're going to enjoy it. Otherwise, on episode 999, everybody's going to get nervous." Well, I'm mostly a record vinyl guy, as you can see. As and you're obviously one of the greatest baseball card authorities. And lately, before the pandemic, for me personally, I found myself thinking about baseball cards, and I began collecting a lot of the things that I had when I was a kid, or things that I didn't have, or couldn't afford, or couldn't get my hands on as a kid. And I've really been enjoying the card hobby again. I find it to be a great way to disconnect from a lot of the other things that are happening in, in my life. Frankly, sometimes it's nice to take a break from music or, or record collecting and I say, I'm just going to do something else. I think that us as collectors have a lot in common. Tell us about your background and how you fell in love with baseball cards and collecting. I'm, I'm going to try to relate this back to music. I, I think I got a head start on sports and sports card collecting, not ahead of music, but ahead of music of records and there, there weren't CDs or <laughs> eight tracks or cassettes uh, back in those days. Right. And I got Meet the Beatles when it came out, but I probably scratched it in some way. But I got my first card when I was seven years old. My dad had actually collected uh, sports cards when he was a kid as well. And I love sports. I love music too, but I love sports. And you may negate this, Evan, but it's hard to have two passionate hobbies. If you've got your vinyl collection and sports cards, those two can be pretty expensive depending on your taste. So at the age of seven, perhaps my die was cast that uh, sports and cards are going to be more important than music. I had a moment of truth in the eighth grade of whether I was going to continue playing the violin or get more into sports. And I basically, part of me wishes I'd have continued with the violin, but I didn't like to practice. I didn't like practicing in sports either, but you just played pickup games. That was fun. So the cards were always an extension of the sport. And I you know, played all the sports and uh, collected all the cards. So it all comes back around. Yeah, and you're right. Both can get very expensive. In my uh, experience, a lot of the records that I have, I've really had since I was very young. Some of these were my dad's records that I remember listening to when I was uh, five or 10 or whatever. So a lot of this stuff really came along for the ride. But it's true. It, it does take up a lot of time. Well, you turned it into a business. I didn't turn it into a business. The hobby side of things, have you grappled with how much time you're spending on that throughout your life? Has it been different amounts of time or has it changed? Yeah. With music, does it count that you're listening to 
beautiful music? Is that somehow a chore? It's something you really enjoy. I guess if you're trying to keep your vinyl in pristine condition, the cards, you can't uh, touch them. You can't get them out. So I don't spend a lot of time. I organize the cards, sell a few here and there, buy a few here and there. I've gone from having it be a hobby to being a business. Now back to being a hobby. A hobby that you can pick up or you can put down. And just like music, it's soothing to some degree. Or a vibe that gets you going. Listen, you can always put a record on and then sort through a box of cards. That's what I do all the time. So you, Double you, trouble. You, okay, oh, yeah. Oh. Multitask. Okay. Actually, I'm doing that already, but it's called television. <laughs> I'm doing one eye and one ear on television and the other eye on my cards and the other ear toward my wife. When I was younger, and of course, this is pre-internet, I remember Beckett Monthly being the Bible for kids interested in baseball cards. Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of the magazine and how it really took on a life of its own? I go to card shows now, and people are excited to buy back issues of Beckett Monthly, in addition to baseball cards, of course. Exactly, exactly. What we wanted to create was something collectors would look forward to. They might go to their card shop, or they might get a subscription, but trying to keep it fresh, trying to have enough editorial as well as price guide and, and colorful photos with arrows going up for cards that increased in value over the previous month. So it was a lot of fun. I would say that was the heyday, Evan, except that now it seems like it's even stronger now. But the magazine certainly were an attempt to to not unify the hobby, but just provide a common experience that many people share. And I like that you address the concept of value in an industry where a baseline for value didn't really exist. What something is worth and you work to standardize that value. What were some of the challenges that you faced during those early days? Was there ever a pushback about your decisions regarding the value of certain cards? Were people one way or the other? Of course, <laughs> pushback. There was an ebb and flow. If everybody says something's too low or everybody says something's too high or you can't find Find it or it's omnipresent, all those things generate feedback loop that suggests the next month there should be some adjustment of the price. But I'm wondering for record collectors if it was like this. In the early days, when there weren't price guides, uh, things were not bought and sold as much. They were mm -hmm. more traded. So right. if you have some nice albums and somebody else has some and they have one you want, it was almost crass back in the day to say, hey, I'll give you X dollars for it. They'd say, I, I, I don't even know how I would establish a value, but I want this one that you have. I'll trade you for that. So what I did, since I was one of the guys that was in the know back 50 years ago almost, well, 50 years ago, you could get those equivalences of something else. And you knew this one was worth 10 bucks and this other one was equal trade value. Well, then that sort of is worth 10 bucks too. Something else was a two for one. Well, then that's 20 bucks or five bucks or whatever. So there was a structure there always of things being more valuable than other things in the 50s and 60s and, and, and in the 70s. And in the late 70s is when I came up with my price guide, which really put a price on everything. And a lot of great contributors around the country, uh, there were cards being sold, but like I said, in the early 70s, it was more trading than selling. By the late 70s in the price guide, it was, there was still some trading, but it was almost all buying and selling which really grew the market too. Right. Trading baseball cards was a quintessential childhood uh, experience. I'll give you the consent, go for the Mattingly or whatever. And that's what it was all about. Have you heard of the website Discogs? For records, they have all records and CDs, everything cataloged there. And you can buy and sell on that website too. So the current way that a lot of value is determined for vinyl records nowadays is through their 
their sales through their site. Then they come up with a median and a max and a min, and then they show you what that value is. Many times it's accurate, but of course there's a debate. And I guess the trading card database is a little bit like that. Discogs has really standardized a lot of value because you'll go to a record store nowadays and most of the median prices will reflect what's on Discogs. I think a lot of record store owners use that as their price guide, but it's supposed to be a living, breathing website so it would change it's what people are doing on ebay and other places the auction houses they're looking for comps if that card in that condition sold recently for a certain price then they could work off that the the interesting thing i was going to ask you about is if a baseball player or football player basketball player's card goes up or down in value it's likely something done on the field or the previous night somebody hit some home runs or that but How does that tie over to the music world? I guess if if a musician or a group gets more and more popular, then there'd be more and more demand for their uh, material. But it's very dynamic within sports. You have a good game, and then you can see that same day even on some of these sites. Another thing that affects value in both baseball cards and records would be when a musician or an athlete passes away. All of a sudden, then there's some kind of a bump. But I would think that if someone won a Grammy or, say, Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney's albums are like maybe the the reverse. He puts something out and it gets everybody talking about the Beatles again or something like that. But yeah, you do see sometimes people get hot and they have uh, good years and bad years. (laughs) And it's similar to an athletic career in many ways. Okay. The annual books were the first thing where you're tracking prices once a year. That seemed to be okay for a while. But then by 84, when we started the baseball magazine, there were monthly activity. And now I won't say it's daily on every card, but on the more expensive cards, you want to get the latest comps. Right. And you especially want to do that in a bull. Which I think both baseball cards and vinyl are currently in. I was born in 1978, so a lot of the cards that I loved were from the early and mid-80s. And nostalgia has always been a big driver of any collecting hobby. But what have you seen in demographic changes over the years, particularly with those of us who lived through the junk wax? i just like to say welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> because... People think junk wax was all bad. It wasn't all bad. It was one of the most popular periods of overproduction, but they were producing a lot because people were buying a lot. Fortunately, we're putting it in their garages and basements, and and it wasn't necessarily getting to the end user, but there was a lot of excitement back in the day. And those uh, collectors grew up and realized many aspects of collecting cards were fun. And they're wiser buyers nowadays. There's been a great influx of people your age. It just runs in cycles. And I was talking to a fellow a few weeks ago uh, who runs a record store in California, and he's very much in the collectibles market. And we were talking about Elvis Presley, that when I was younger, the biggest collectible record market was Elvis Presley stuff. Nowadays, it's changed. It's more of a Beatles thing. It's more of a punk rock thing. Do you recall anything that was really hot maybe 30 years ago that now maybe people aren't? too interested. There are better examples going the other way. The things that weren't that hot then are now. With prices getting so high on some of this stuff, it makes you consider alternatives. Mm-hmm. That's true of any alternative investment. You think, this seems overpriced, but I like the category. But soccer cards were never a thing, but now soccer cards are hot. Wrestling cards, no one cared about that. Basketball was a distant third, maybe fourth behind baseball and football and maybe even hockey back in the 50s and 60s. Now it's extremely strong. The the biggest trend, I think, in the last number of years is the increase on the current sets. It used to be the older, the better. And now there's certain cards that have gone up in value. I think the people that are spending the money need an emotional connection to what they're spending the money on. If it's LeBron James or Michael Jordan, they vote with their dollars. It may be similar to music. I mean, if 
you need some emotional, visceral connection to it. And if you don't have that, otherwise you're plunking down big bucks for something you can't relate to. That doesn't make much sense to me. People want to get what was cool when they were a kid. They may want to get something that was cool when their dad was a kid, if their dad told them stories about it. But so I, I like the fact that there's an emotional connection. It's not just a transactional thing. There's some warmth. There's some passion, some feeling. Right. You're living through it. You're buying players that you're watching on TV and having- You're reliving through it. Yeah. 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 So some similarities between card collecting and record collecting, the idea of eternal encapsulation versus enjoying the product. In the record world, you would maybe keep something sealed. That's a sealed record. You can't open that. It's sealed versus people who are saying, oh, come on, you got to play it. They made it to play it. Open that 40-year-old record up already. Now, thinking back to a 40-year-old pack of uh, baseball cards, do you open them? You save them? What's the the, the cool thing to do? So it's the, uh, the investment. If you're an investor, keeping it as much as possible in the original pristine condition is where the big bucks have been, the unopened pack or the unopened record. Because once you open it up, it's been touched. But I had friends that collected records back in the day. They loved the music. They were just collecting something. I think this will go up in value. They thought, this is a record that I think is going to be great. But they'd play it once, and they'd be recording to their reel-to-reel in some days. They'd get a high-fidelity recording, and then they'd put it back in and put it away and never touch it again. I have it, and then they'd listen to their cassette or or whatever medium they recorded it to. It's played once. Right. Once. Those are the collections you want to buy. Those are the, I'm those saying, are the, but they're not gem mint. They are opened, but right. it's still uh, very high quality. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of a 9.5 or maybe a 10, but not unopened, not unsealed, um, which I think cards were meant to be. I don't begrudge people with cards that are in, not dog-eared, but, it, but have some wear. They were intended to be enjoyed. And right. same thing with records. Yeah, encapsulization of vinyl. The funny thing about that is then you can't play it. It's one thing with a baseball card, you know, you can look at it, you can enjoy it, it does what it does. But if you encapsulate a record, you've lost some of the enjoyment value of it. It, it, It's music. There is also cover art, and some of the cover art is, is pretty outstanding, but it's still music. At the end of the day, music that's digital, you can get the music. And have the record on the shelf. And they have so, the record on the shelf. <laughs> the man in the house.